1: I pray that becomes clearer and clearer. Thank you each and every day. Yeah, shout it out. Let us know. Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. David, a man after God's own heart. The title of this message is a fitting end as we come to the end of our study in David. First Chronicles chapter 29. Larger than life. Have you ever met someone who is larger than life? Someone who had an aura of greatness. There was just something about him. It's just It seems like every tailing of their life or things of their life seem to be bigger. They walk in and the whole room becomes theirs. There are some characters that are larger than life. and I, I think of folklore, you know, folk tales. I think of people like Paul Bunyan. You see him here on the screen. He was a large man whose exploits revolved around the tall tales of his superhuman strength, always accompanied by Big Babe the Blue Ox. Or one of my favorites was Pecos Bill. He was a cowboy who would use a rattlesnake named Shake as a lasso, and another Shake as a little whip. And his horse was called the Widowmaker, and she was named because no other man could ride him and live. And dynamite was said to be his favorite food, and on one of his adventures he actually managed to lasso a twister, and he was able to ride it. Or maybe even John Henry, who worked on the railroad, driving strakes into the ground, who died in victory with his hammer in his hand, racing a steam engine in a contest to see who was faster. Then there are real people who seem larger than life, like Michael Jordan, who carried the Chicago Bulls to six championships and set the standard for basketball stardom. Or General Patton, who led his men into battle, earning their respect and striking fear into their enemy, of course, my favorite is Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris, who counted to infinity twice. Once, you roundhouse kicked someone so hard that his foot broke the speed of light. Chuck Norris, the only man who can sneeze with his eyes open, and who could eat just one Lay's potato chip. The only one known to ever defeat a brick wall in a game of tennis. Throughout history there have been many people that have been larger than life. Obviously that's in jest. But they've been larger than life in their personalities and their courage and their actions and their influence. Many times we can think of biblical characters sometimes in this same way as if they're fictional. We read of their adventures and exploits and we consider them myths or legends or folklore. However, the men and women in the Bible that you and I study and read about are as real as you and I. They lived real lives. They felt real fear. They suffered real pain and experienced real joy. They're just like you and I. And you and I must be careful as we read about the life of David as we have these last six, seven weeks, that we do not think of him as something greater than just a regular man. The Reverend John Schultz writes that David appears to us in Scripture as a man greater than life. From his very youth, he showed himself a fearless hero, killing a bear and a lion, as well as the giant Goliath. As a poet and musician, he takes the place in history as unequaled next to Shakespeare and Bach, or maybe even topping them. In his fellowship with God of Israel, he is still one of the most shining examples next to Moses and Daniel. His vision and zeal for God's glory laid the foundation of Israel as a kingdom of priests, which guaranteed his existence to the present day. Israel may not live up to its high calling, but the foundation of Judaism still exists, and Christianity is solidly built upon that. He was a brilliant strategist. He was both a supreme commander of the army and king of a nation. But this shining picture is offset by the deepest and darkest shadows that ever marred a human life. His sin almost speaks as loud as his righteousness. If it were not for his genuine repentance, David would have gone down in his history as one of man's most depraved characters. But his penitence turned his life into a monument of God's grace. And we read that last week. In many respects, this great man, this David, remains an enigma. The fact that God qualifies him as a man after God's own heart remains a mystery to us. But it also is encouragement for all who, like David, approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. For you and I are many times like David, and that's the encouragement that we wanted scripture tells us that these things were written to be examples for us In our first message in this series as a matter of review we learned that David served God in his generation as we see here In Acts 13, 36, it says, So David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. This is a a great testimony. He served God in his own generation. We talked about how great it would be if that was on you and I's tombstone. That we served God. Not our own agenda, not accomplished great things for mankind, but we served God even in the most littlest of things. Yes, David was far from perfect. He suffered depression. He suffered rejection and frustration, fear and even despair. Yet, Scripture tells us that David was a man of faith that served God purposes in his own generation. He had both great successes And drastic failures. We had saw that David had struck down his ten thousands. That he had success in all his undertakings. That the Lord was with David. And that all Israel and Judah loved him. That David made a name for himself that was great. And that the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. But yet we saw through his life that he had great failures like you and I. His mishandling of the Ark of the Covenant cost a young man his life. He took Uriah's wife and had him killed when he failed to cover up his sin. His ineffective control over his sons led to multiple disasters, including rebellions and deaths. His pride led to the death of 70,000 men near the end of his life. Yet in Psalms 139, David understood that he was fearfully and wonderfully made that his soul knows it well, that his frame was not hidden from God when it was made in secret, that your eyes, he speaks of God, saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when yet there was none of them. He realized that he was created for God's purposes. David was God's man for that time to accomplish God's purposes, to unite the tribes of Israel into one strong nation. Scripture tells us that David administered justice and equity to all his people. He served God in his generation, chosen by God for a special purpose. But he was also, we saw, he was a man after God's own heart. Paul says, and when God had removed King Saul, that he raised up David to be their king. He said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. God found in David something special, something extraordinary that separated him from the others. The prophet Samuel, in condemning King Saul's disobedience, wrote, said, your kingdom shall not continue, Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And we had saw that the Shining example of one who's a man after God's own heart is one who submits to God's will, submits to God's word, who is obedient. And we asked the question, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? And we saw that it wasn't to be blameless. It wasn't to be a sinless. We see David was neither. But we do see how someone responded to their sin and failure. Dr. R.C. Sproul comments that in the Psalms, we see the heart of a penitent sinner, unveiled, and in that I think we see most clearly the greatness of David, he writes. He says, if you read Psalm 51 and you read it carefully and thoughtfully, that it will reveal more than anything else in the history of David why David was called a man after God's own heart, because it reveals the broken heart of a sinful man who sees sin clearly. Let me ask, in those times of your failure, does your prayer grow out? Does your cry go out, wash me, purge me? Let me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face not from my sin, or blot out or blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. These were the words and the spirit of David. Not that he was perfect, but in his sin he knew who to go to. He realized that God loves a heart that's broken and contrite. For he says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. So not only was he a man who served God in his generation and a man after God's own heart, but thirdly, we saw that he was a type of Christ. His life pointed towards Christ. And we use that word typology. And I say it just to set in mind as we review. It's that biblical interpretation. It's a method whereby an element found in the Old Testament is seen to prefigure one found in the New Testament. There's a Type and an antitype. In scripture, David is the type and Jesus is the antitype. In other words, David's life pointed towards Christ. As we move quickly through some of the highlights of David's life, we had pointed out how David accomplished those three things. Now today we move to the end of his life. So in a quick review, David was a man who served God in his generation, who was a man after God's own heart, and used his life to point towards Christ. And as we looked at those three things, we ourselves said, this is how our life ought to be. We ought to uh, try, that it should be our goal to be the same type of man, the same type of woman. Now in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, I want to set up the setting of what's going on here. We're coming to the end of David's life. And as we look at the first verse, And David the king said to all the assembly, speaking to all those who were assembled, the Israelites, He said, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantities of onyx, And stones for setting, antimony, covered stones, all sorts of precious stones and marvel. Father, as we now close with the life of David in his last public act here, I pray that you'd open up our minds and hearts to the man that David was. He's written to give us an example of one in which we should attain, one we should look up to. But yet we can see David in many of us, whether it's our successes But probably more likely our failures, and I pray that our hearts would be as penitent as His was; that we would have a broken and contrite heart, and I pray that as we read, that you'd open up our minds and our hearts to receive what you have; that we may respond to the Holy Spirit. In Your name we pray, Amen. The setting of today's passage is David's public address to Solomon and the people of Israel concerning the building of the temple. Solomon is getting ready to be on the throne. David's near the end of his life, and he's given a charge as Solomon is sitting there with him as well as to the people who are sitting there. David had waited a long time to make this temple, as we had talked about several weeks ago. He wanted to make it a reality. As we had read several weeks ago, again, David had desired to build a house for God, but he was prevented by God, who told David, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. And over the years, David had collected materials needed to build the temple and now gives charge to Solomon, who will follow him as king and the people to begin the work. David's address here demonstrates why he was a man who served God in his own generation, was a man after God's own heart, and he pointed to Christ. I want to share that in three ways as we look at this charge to Solomon And the children of Israel. The first one is going to be in verses 10 through 13, where we see that David has a biblical understanding of God and his attributes. Look at verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, in verse 11, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of the Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honors come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, our God and praise your glorious name forever. David had a biblical understanding of God, and I believe for you and I, this is where everything starts. It's really the very first thing when it comes to the gospel, is having a biblical understanding of who God is. As you look at this address, you see David is magnifying God for his sovereignty. You own all things. All things are yours. You see him reflect the power and glory of God, the majesty of God, the Ownership that God has over all things, as well as his providence, in which God can order and govern things, and then in God's wisdom. Is that all of these things, God does in his own wisdom. You see, David's understanding here, and this is important, because the question that we have to ask is, what is it that you worship? Here we see that David's understanding of who God is, leads him to worship God. And it's just not some God that says, well, there's just some greater being out there. But it's the attributes of God. See, when you think of God, what do you think of? And this is something that I struggle from time to time when I'm praying, when I'm considering the things of God. Do you think of just some invisible force? Do you think of just something that's just up there? Or do you start to recount the goodness, the faithfulness, the power, the providence, the ownership of God. And see, that's what scripture has given. He's given us descriptions of who it is. If you, if you think of, uh, you remember the, the, those days in which you used to write love letters. Now, I, I assume maybe some spouses still do that. That t- tends to go away after we say I do and very soon after the newlywed. But remember those days you would write those things and you would just write out their attributes. Oh, I just love how you are. We, we do it at Christmas or, or their birthday. I love how you do this. I love how you do that. And it's those things that make us love them. Let me ask, do you consider the things of God? Do you pray the things of God? In those times when your life is dark and when things are are so far away, do you consider the attributes of God? Does it lead you to worship? For some, it leads them to curse God. It leads some to accuse God. Remember Job's wife, Just curse God and die. Whereas Job wanted to think and dwell on the attributes of God. See, David's understanding of God's attributes leads him to worship. For he says, and now we thank you our God and we praise your glorious name. He accepts who God is and he recognizes the goodness of God. And I think the challenge here for many of us is I don't think you and I always accept who God is. We want to question the goodness or the faithfulness or the promises of God. We want to accuse him of not being good or we want to challenge his ownership and providence over life. He doesn't see God as a cruel despot or a dictator or unfair master. But I'm afraid many who profess Christ sometimes see God in that way. I want to challenge you this morning. How do you see God? And does it cause you to worship? Do you see and acknowledge the attributes of God? If you were to sit and talk to someone and they would say, why do you believe in God? What would you answer? Would you start giving them all the biblical scriptures? Or would you just talk about the attributes of God and why you love Him? Would you talk about how the attributes of God are shown in your life? Does knowing God and His attributes lead you to worship Him? Or does it lead you to doubt Him or to curse Him? Do you still struggle with who God is? David, sitting here near the end of his life, as he's given a charge to Solomon, who's ready to take the throne and to the people, he reminds them of the attributes of God. And I would challenge you this morning would you accept those? Do you know those? Do you dwell on those? Do you give thanks to God for those attributes? The second thing we see here is not only a biblical understanding of God and his attributes. But we see also that he has a biblical understanding of man's place in view of God. Again, very central to the gospel. This is, the gospel is, is God and then man. And here we see in David's address here, it's very much the same way. Look at verse 14. For David says, but who am I? First, he talks about the attributes of God. But then he says, but who am I? And what is my people, speaking of the children of Israel that are listening to him, that we should be thus able to offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own have we've given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like shadow, and there is no abiding. Look at verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house from your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. How does David have a biblical understanding of man? He understands that everything that they have come, comes from God. Here are the people. They're, they're bringing their offerings. They're about to bring their gifts so they can give to the temple so they can build this magnificent house for God. But he brings them back and says, "Wait a second. Everything that you're about to give to God is from God." God. As we took this morning, when we talk about our offering, offering is part of our worship. And when we give God, we're giving actually back to God. We're not giving him of our own. We're giving what he's given us. David understood that everything comes from God. Paul would ask the church of Corinth thousands of years later, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast if you did not receive it? Let me ask you, in what ways today are you priding yourself and in your intellect in your industriousness in the way in which you provide for yourself? That's not the case. It may not matter whose name is on the check that you get each and every other week for your salary or for your employment. We have to remember that all that still comes from a loving, good God. And I would challenge you this. This is a little bit extra. If you find yourself uh, angry or complaining about what you earn, you must be careful because you could find yourself arguing and complaining against a good God who has given that to you. So we must be very, very careful. David also recognizes, he listen to that address, that they had been rescued by slavery uh, in Egypt by God and they've been given this land and, and, and he has secured their nation. It's not something that they had done in themselves. They've done everything they could to sabotage their, their existence and their nation. As you read the book of Joshua and the book of Judges and going into First Samuel. Hence why they needed a king, they needed a, a savior, a redeemer so to speak. They needed one who would be strong and one who could lead that nation. But even then, it is God who has led them. It is God who had went before them and secured their victories. And I would ask you as we're continuing, is what does that apply to you and I? Well, very simple. As we look at the gospel, do you and I recognize that we've been rescued from the slavery of sin and the power and the curse of death? In the same way, you and I stand in this thing and we we say, well, look at me, I'm a good person. We we look at others and say, well, you're a good person. We're, We're very much a culture of affirming others in their mediocrity. We're really good at affirming others in their sin. We have this thing in which we're not allowed to tell anyone you are wrong, the way that you're thinking is wrong, your worldview is wrong, your logic leads to illogic. Why? Because we're fallen. David's coming and tell the people, don't be prideful in about what you're about to do. Yes, we live in a land of peace and time of peace and rest. We can now build this great house for God, but yet do not forget where you come from. So we come to communion earlier this morning. That's why we talk about remembering who we come. We come to this table. It's actually a time of submission. It's a time of humbleness in which we realize that we do not stand before God of our own doing or because of our own good works. But again, we're coming because of God's grace. This ought to humble our hearts, not swell it with pride. David had a biblical understanding of man's place in the world. And I would challenge you, we live in a day and age in which man has been lifted up and he has said, and whatever you think, and whatever you want to do, and however you want to experience life, whatever pleasures you want, you should not be denied. Doesn't matter what the consequences are. We have to realize that we'll stand before a holy God. If we try to make standards of our own, we try to make moral pinnings of our own, but we have to remember where we come from. David understood that their lies were reliant. On the kindness of an eternal God. David says that our days on earth are like shadows. Our lives are just like shadows. Our time here is short. David served God in his generation. Let me ask, who have you been serving in your generation? In your X plus years here, who have you been serving? Only you can answer that. Let me tell you, one day we will stand before God and we will give account. And we can say all these things, well, I went to church, I did this, I did that, I gave this. But what we see is God says he can see to the motivations of the heart. Life is like a shadow, we know this, many of us. We experience it through the death of loved ones and family and friends. Death is a reminder from God that our lives are but shadows. And we serve someone much greater than ourselves. Who are you serving today? Look at, your time, look at your checkbook. Look at your calendar. Look at your Facebook timeline. What are you serving? How are you serving? David had a biblical understanding, true understanding of who he was. And he didn't use their giving as a reason here, as they're giving to the temple, they're not using their giving as a reason to point out to God how wonderful they were, but actually they were talking about how wonderful God is. I think so many times that we use our life, whether it's our children or our spouse, all these things that God has given us, every breath, the breath you just took, was a gift from God. Every heartbeat, every function of your organ is a gift from God this very moment. Does it cause you to worship him? It caused you to think, oh, "Look at how good I am! Look how well I take care of myself." Let's read on in verse seventeen of First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine. For David goes, "I know, my God, that you test the hearts." God test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Well, we have to realize that opportunities for giving to God are tests of the character of a believer's devotion to the Lord. When you give, it's testing your devotion to the Lord. In what way do you give? He calls us to give sacrificially. He calls us to give cheerfully and generously. These are examples or a test of your devotion to God. And I'm not speaking just of your finances. I'm speaking of your whole life. The king acknowledges that the attitude of one's heart is significantly more important than the amount of offering in one's hand. We saw that when we looked at Mark and in Matthew when we talked about the widow's mite, where she gave in just a little coin. And God says it's her heart. She gave all that she had. Not that she gave a lot, but that she gave all that she had. Verse 18, we read of a great prayer as we continue on. As we must remember that God loves a cheerful giver, but we're to give of a heart that's generous, recognizing that's a gift. But in verse 18, we read of a great prayer. And I would love for you to underline this if you have your Bibles and something to underline or highlight. Underline this verse O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep Forever, such purpose and thoughts in the hearts of your people. Underline that phrase, and then the next. And direct their hearts towards you. Here is a man who has served God in his generation. He has a heart of God, and he's lived his life in which it's pointing to Christ. And he says, Father, would you keep and direct their purposes and their hearts? As spouses and parents, as employees and employers, as friends and co-workers. That should be our prayer, to keep and direct our hearts towards God. What's your legacy? Will your children continue to follow God? Have you lived a life in such a way? Has your prayer been such that you're praying, Father, keep their purposes, direct their hearts towards you? Is that your prayer for yourself? For you and I realized last week that Satan is always looking to paralyze the Christian. He wants to destroy your character and draw you away from God. Our prayer should, Father, forever keep your purpose and thoughts in the hearts of your people. Direct our hearts towards you. As we were to continue in verse 19, David requests that his son Solomon and that the nation would continue to serve God in obedience. Look at verse 19. For he says, Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, performing all, that he may build the palace for which I made provision. David desires his legacy to be a son and a nation that loves God with their whole heart, and that the temple would stand as a testimony to God's goodness and God's kindness. Let me ask, as we're looking at this passage, David has a heart for his people. He has a heart for his children he has a heart for Israel you can almost imagine wanting to pull that heart out and give it to him and says this is what I have for you this is all that I have serve God love him with your whole hearts let me ask in what ways are you struggling to submitting to God in what ways are you submitting to God For some, it would just be submitting to his word, of understanding this is his word revealed to us. It may be the commandments of God's word. What ways are you struggling submitting as a husband or a wife, or as an employee, as an employer to the things of God? What do you want your legacy to be? What is it that you want others to say of you? He was a man or a woman that served God's own heart and served God in his generation, or he was a person who did this, and did this, did this. But what I love is number three. Because he had a biblical understanding of God and his attributes. He had a biblical understanding of man. But all of that does nothing if it does not lead others to worship and to serve God. See, God is seeking worshipers. He is seeking people to worship him. You know, we talk about our missions, and we like to do more with missions, and missions in which we evangelize. But you know why evangelism and missions exist? Do you understand why is it that we we plant churches and send missionaries overseas? For only one reason, because worship doesn't exist. God has created us that we may worship him, that we may celebrate his presence, that we may express our love for him. But however, because of sin, that has stopped and that has ended. And we've been rebellious towards him. Look at verse 20. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of the fathers. And they bowed their heads and they paid homage to the Lord and their king. Let me ask you, is your life, does it lead others to worship? Do they look at you and say there's something different about him or her, or their life? You see, this is what true leaders do. And let me tell you, all of us are leaders. And that's why, because I say leaders are people of influence. That means everyone here this morning We are all influencers, whether we are fathers, mothers, employers, members of our community. We all have influence, and those who have influence, those who lead, lead others to worship. Let me tell you, if Dustin and Randy and I and others who are on the board and you and I here, if we build a great church and we build greater buildings, and we have to great, uh, start second and third services, that's all fine and dandy. But if it's not leading others to worship and serve God, then it's for naught. Amen? It's empty. You can bring your children here to church. You can bring them to Sunday school. They can be in the Christmas play. But let me tell you, if they're not worshiping and serving God, you're losing the main thing. David led others to worship And serve God the salt and light we are called to give glory to God and to live our lives in such a way that lead others to do the same and so here's the question do you lead life lead others to worship and serve God one are you doing it yourself and number two does your life lead others to worship and serve God Or would some of your friends and neighbors and coworkers, would they be surprised that you're a Christian, that you go to church, that you're part of a community of followers? What would others say about you? Does your life lead others to worship Christ? Not worship you, not follow you, but follow Christ. Even Paul who said, follow me as I what? Follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate God. Parents, I see there's some here. Your job is not to make little yous, but to make little gods. Help them to see how they can be Christ-like in their life. And that's only going to come if you're showing that, if you're exhibiting, if you're leading that type of life. I like to come to a fitting in. Verse 22, we see they ate and they drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. They made Solomon the son of David king the second time, and they anointed him as prince for the Lord. And verse 23, and this is very important. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of David his father, and he prospered, and Israel obeyed him. And verse 25, and the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of Israel, and bestowed on him such royal majesty as it not been on the king before in Israel. David, the young shepherd boy, was chosen by God to play a special role in God's plan. Though he would not be perfect, God blessed him, and he kept his promises to David. David's legacy would continue even through the destruction of Israel and the exile of the people. When we read of David, we are reading of the faithfulness of God. From David would come the greatest final king, Jesus Christ, the son of promise, the Messiah, the savior of the world. And this promise that we read several weeks ago of of a king, of a righteous king, finds its guarantee or its continuance here as Solomon takes the throne. But you and I, too, can be like David. You and I are also called to live out the purposes of God in our generation. We, too, are to be men and women after God's own hearts with our lives pointing to Christ. And like David, you and I have been called and chosen to honor God with our whole lives. You and I must embrace David's charge to Solomon. If you're in 1 Corinthians 29, look at verse 28. One page back, maybe. In verse 9, he says, You, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. As we read through this life of David and maybe through many other biblical characters, you may feel that there's no way that you can be like a David or a Daniel or a Joseph or an Abraham. Maybe you're even intimidated by these larger-than-life exploits and their faith and the courage. Who could be like Peter? Who could be like Paul? But David was as human as you and I were. He doubted. He cried out to God. He felt alone. He was the man who would say, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever had moments in your life where you cried out the same thing? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Have you ever despaired in that way? David would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out to you, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. But David was also a man who would write, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pasture and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness. He would say, I'd wait patiently through the Lord. And he heard my cry as we saw earlier in our scripture reading. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. As we end here this morning, We end with the life of David. You too are called to serve God in your generation. You're called to a life of obedience and a heart of submission, for that's what God looks for. And we're to point our lives and let it be one who leads others to worship, just as Christ did these things. R.L. Wheeler writes this, If I had the wisdom of Solomon the patience of John, the meekness of Moses, the strength of Samson, the obedience of Abraham, the compassion of Joseph, the tears of Jeremiah, the poetic skills of David, the prophetic voice of Elijah, and the courage of Daniel, the greatness of John the Baptist, and the endurance of Paul. If I had all those things, I would still need redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sin. I pray that this morning that you stand in the redemption that's found in Christ. Only then can we be a man after God's own heart. Let me give you this encouragement. For Paul writes, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, those things that keep you from doing the things that God has called you to do, that cling so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you take a moment this morning to pause, to consider, to pray, and to respond? Father, how can I be a man like David? Every head bowed and every eye closed, would you take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray, and to respond? Do you have a biblical understanding of God? Do you have a biblical understanding of man? And does your life lead others to worship? Father, we come before you, and we thank you for David and and the words about him. They are set up as an example for us, as an encouragement for those of us who desire to follow you. We thank you for your Son, who is the true hero of the story. Lord, may our lives be such in which we understand who God is, that we understand who we are. And Lord, I pray that as we come to worship you, that it would lead others to worship you as well. That they may come to know Jesus Christ, the son of David, the one who David pointed towards, the redeemer of all man. Father, I pray that you would just be with our hearts. Strengthen us as we walk from here. Father, we pray for our shut-ins through so those who are not able to be here. We pray that you would encourage them and lift them up. Father, I pray that you would just be with many of us this morning, who may come with a heavy heart, may we find peace and rest in your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org.